You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Our scripture reading for today is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. The Word of God for the people of God. Speak to God. Thank you, Jomer, for reading our scripture this morning. So when my spouse and I were first dating, he would often cook dinner for us. And I always marveled at how much a better cook he was than I. Until one day I was sitting in the kitchen and I was watching him cook. And I noticed that he added salt to almost everything he cooked. And I realized, oh, no wonder his food tastes so much better than me. Other than potatoes, I don't salt my food. You see, multiple generations in my family have battled hypertension, and so growing up, no one ever used salt in a meal because of all the people who needed to have a low-sodium diet. And even after I grew up and moved out, I never changed my cooking habits. So I didn't realize what a difference salt made. Later, I read the book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, And that helped me to learn even more about the different properties of salt and the different kinds of salt and the different times in cooking you can use it. But when I read the gospel lesson this week, I was reminded how little I still know about salt. How in the world does salt lose its saltiness? And if it does, can it become salty again? Jesus was speaking to an audience who knew the incredibly high value of salt. In Roman times and throughout time into the Middle Ages even, salt was so highly valued that some would call it white gold. This high demand for salt was due to its importance in preserving food, especially meat and fish. According to NPR, salt was so valuable that soldiers in the Roman army were sometimes paid with salt instead of with other currency. Their monthly allowance was called salarium. Salt is sal in Latin. And this word salarium eventually came to be in the English language as the word salary. So salt was so important that your very salary was being paid in salt. So if I was being paid in salt, I think I would actually know the value of it. So if I was one of those people hearing Jesus say that you are the salt of the earth, that would grab my attention. You see, today I think of salt mostly as flavoring to food. 
So was Jesus saying that the followers he was making were simply to enhance the world that God made, but they weren't really essential to it? No, he meant much more. Salt was the only food preservative they had, and without salt, food would rot. It couldn't be saved for travel. And so by being able to use salt to save food, it meant that explorers could go out in the world and set off to new lands. It also meant that armies could advance because they had food that had been preserved. And also, the human body cannot function without salt. Our muscles won't work, including our heart. Our nerves won't work properly. They won't transmit the electricity in our bodies that we need. In fact, I remembered while I was working on this sermon about a dear friend of mine who had to take a medicine that completely depleted her sodium levels. And so when she would drink water, she would actually put salt into her water because salt was so vital for her body to have sodium to function properly. So Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are vital. This world cannot function without you. And then he goes on to say, you are the light. Light is also essential for life, for photosynthesis, for growth, for helping to grow food. Light is essential for living and for working. Without the sun, without light, life is not possible. So Jesus is telling us that as disciples of Christ, we are essential to this world. Salt and light. Two familiar examples that his original hearers would know immediately are vital. They would also know that they transform the elements that they come in contact with. Anyone who's lived near the ocean knows that salt water and salty air change the environment. Salt and light both change their environments. A shining light transforms the space around it. And in the same way, the followers of Jesus who gather together as the church, we also transform the environment around us. That's why the mission of our denomination, the United Methodist Church, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. If we were only focused on making disciples, we could easily fall into that trap of being like salt that has lost its saltiness. But we are focused on making disciples of Jesus for the transformation of the world. It is the why of everything we do as a church. Why we preach, why we teach, why we go to committee meetings, why we feed people, why we gather for book study. We learn what it means to follow Jesus. And it changes the way we live so that we may change the world. We don't gather for worship just to fill our heads with knowledge. We don't gather for worship just to feel like we belong in a group that makes us comfortable. We gather so that our hearts and our minds can be shaped to be more like Jesus. And when we become more like Jesus, it changes the way we live. People of faith have been called not only to be transformed by God's love for themselves, but then to allow that transforming love to spread out from them and help to transform this world. What we believe in our heads and in our hearts isn't complete until we take action in the way that we love one another.
Taking an active stance in society is something that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, set as an example for us. He combined personal piety, personal holiness, with social piety or social holiness. He set the example for us of combining these two. Ever since Wesley showed us this way, Methodism has been known to be a denomination that gets involved with people's lives, with the struggles of this world. One of the ways that our denomination has expressed how important it is for faith and action to meet is in something that we call our social creed. It's a small portion of our social principles that are written into the book of discipline. Now, you may never have heard of this, but it's not a new idea. It goes back to 1908. It's a basic statement of convictions about the fundamental relationship between God, God's creation, and humanity. The United Methodist Communications Office produced a short video, and it'll give us a glimpse into how our denomination has worked to be salt and light in this world. So Apollinaire will play this short video for us now. They never learned to read and write, but learned to spin and spool. At the turn of the 20th century, the U.S. was shifting from a rural agrarian society to an industrial economy. Children as young as four joined adults, working in factories and coal mines. In 1908, the Methodist Church took a stand for the rights of workers with a social creed that called for an end to child labor, a fair wage, and safety standards. In 1912, Teddy Roosevelt was quoting much of the content of the social creed, which was four years after the social creed had been written. The idea of a denomination setting these ideals in writing was groundbreaking, but the principles had a long history. Actually, the predecessor bodies of the United Methodist Church had for over a hundred years had statements on peace, on world order, anti-slavery, fairness for all. So our history since the time of Wesley, really, there were always statements in the books of discipline about the Methodist commitments to social holiness and to justice. So it's never not been there. In Washington, D.C., the Reverend Susan Henry Crow heads the General Board of Church and Society, the United Methodist Agency tasked with advocating for the values contained in the social creed. The former pastor gained an appreciation for the church's clear stance during an early appointment, pastoring a church amidst the textile mills of South Carolina. I was visiting one of my parishioners, several of whom worked in the textile mill right beside the church, and he was standing in ankle-high water. And I said, Mr. Smith, what happened today? And he said, oh, this is normal. And I was so shaken by it. Today, Henry Crow's office overlooks the Supreme Court and is just steps from the U.S. Capitol. As members of Congress come to work every day, they walk by this building and see what our witness is. Labor conditions in America have changed over a century, but there's still a need for people of faith to embrace the United Methodist social creed, says Church and Society's John Hill. We have been calling for a living wage in every industry since 1908. 
and I reflect on both how inspiring that is and how uh, frustrating that is. We take faithful positions on a number of issues, and then our job is to make sure that those words don't just gather dust on a shelf somewhere, that we live them out in our lives, and that we uh, challenge those systems that prevent them from uh, being realized in the world. So the original creed written in 1908 was in response to a time of rapid change as people were moving from rural America into the growing cities. But wages were low and the work was dangerous. It was in response to the impact on families that the Methodist Church said that these oppressive working conditions could not stand. And they approved an 11-point call to action. Their creed included social principles such as equal rights, justice for all, and the, the abolition of child labor, and also a living wage. By boldly proclaiming the social creed through collective action, Methodist churches joined together and they helped to advance God's vision and they transformed some of the working conditions in the world. The creed stayed with us. We were Methodist Episcopal or Methodist Episcopal South or Methodist Protestant in the time that the creed was created, but we all joined together, all three denominations, and eventually we became the United Methodist Church. We have updated this social creed because we know that there are still issues today where we are called to be salt and light and to help transform. We know that poverty continues. In 2018, the Federal Reserve reported that four out of 10 Americans could not scrape together $400 in cash to cover an unexpected expense. According to the Wall Street Journal, millennials, the generation that they said was born between 81 and 96, those, po those folks who are now approaching midlife, they're lagging behind financially with less money and less property than all generations since the Great Depression in the 1930s. This COVID pandemic illustrated some of the economic disparities in our nation from people who were laid off and who ended up getting more in unemployment than they had gotten in the work that they were doing, which showed that they were not getting a living wage to those folks in our community who are children, who had to find a way to get to their schools to get the free food that they relied upon because they were used to eating free breakfast and lunch at school every day. So a need for a social creed continues today. And I imagine 200 years from now, there will be need for an updated creed at that time. We don't know what the current social challenges will be in the 23rd century, but we know that it will be true then as it is today, as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus called us to be salt and to be light. How can we today continue to live out this call to discipleship? to be the ones who help transform this world by our very existence of faithfulness. So friends, let us remember that we are called to take our faith, not just from our heads and hearts, but to extend it through our hands and help to be disciples who do indeed transform the world.